morning, everyone. Why don't you grab a Bible or a phone or something and open it to Hebrews chapter 10. We're not in Mark this morning. We're taking a break. We're taking a break from Mark just for one week uh, because I feel like we need to dive into this passage that we are going to be looking at this morning. It's just two verses that we're going to be working through and we'll be diving around to a couple of other sections, but uh, we're taking a break from our you know, scheduled programming in the Gospel of Mark. We'll pick it up again uh, next week. And I, uh, I want to talk this morning about why church is essential, why, uh, why church is uh, essential. I think um, we never used to use these terms around, uh, well, I never used to use terms like this, like what's essential. And I think COVID um, sort of helped all of us realize fairly quickly whether you were essential or non-essential uh, when lockdown hit. Like, you know, we were sheep and goats. Like we were divided as, a, as humanity amongst, are you an essential worker or are you just a non-essential? Just like, you're not really super necessary. You have to stay at home. But these acts, like we need these people. And so they got certificates and they could roll while we were all like locked at home. You know, maybe, were any of you essential workers? I know the doctors don't count. Put your hands down if you're a doctor after church. Teachers, uh, okay, engineers, they get a free pass. Uh, you know, but most of us were the non-essentials, eh? I mean, I, I'm a pastor. You, I, we were at the back of the queue. Like, uh, we don't need you clowns. Stay at home, pray. Um, I want to talk this morning about the fact that church, I, this is a growing sense that I've had around the essential nature of church. And what I'm, what I'm not wanting to do this morning is make some politically charged statement and stick it to the government. I, what I want us to do is look at what the scriptures say about who we are as a church and how we should be with one another and confirm some beliefs that you already have uh, re-establish some of those foundations and provoke uh, some of you who are in the room and some of you who are watching this online around some changes that I think we, we need to make. Why am I talking about this? Because um, partly because of where we are uh, as a culture, as a country, as a society, as individuals. Um, I, I think that we've got in COVID has caused us to all pick up different kinds of rhythms and habits, hasn't it? If you think of your life now, it's different to pre-COVID days. You're in different habits and rhythms and you do different things and you, you don't do things that you may be used to and you do do things that you never did before. Your rhythms have changed and I think that's affected church and it's affected us as believers. And not all of those new habits and rhythms are healthy. Um, part of why we're talking about this is because I think uh, ecclesiology is the fancy word for what you think about the church. And uh, that's a really big deal. And I don't know if we ever, if we spend enough time just sitting down uh, as individuals and as a church and talking about what, what it is that we are. Um, who are we? Why are we all here on, on a Sunday morning? Why are you not somewhere else? Um, what are we when we're not together? Uh, are we still a church? Uh, what about other churches? And it's good for us every now and then to dive into a little bit of theological wrestling about what is a church and how should a church function. And also a growing concern, I suppose this as a pastor, for people's spiritual health. Uh, I have a growing concern that 
the lingering effects of COVID are having massively detrimental effects on people's spiritual health. That um, people are worse off spiritually now than before COVID. It's not like all this time at home and adjusted rhythms has resulted in tons of time reading your Bible. You feel so much closer to the Lord, you know, missing people, walking around with masks on, all of this stuff. It's just like I'm soaring with the Lord. Most people that I encounter are, are struggling to one degree or another spiritually. We're not flying collectively. And so it's important that we talk about the church. And uh, before we dive into the passage I want us to look at, I want us to talk a bit about how we've got to where we are. Because whilst COVID has been an accelerator of trends, it's not, it's not COVID's fault that alone that we are where we are uh, as individuals, as a church, and as a, as a society, as a culture. Because the trend, at least in Christianity, in the expression of it that we find ourselves in. Okay, this is, I'm not making universal statements about the whole worldwide church because it's very different all over the place. I'm talking about our expression, kind of where we find ourselves. Christian faith has moved to be described like this, as privatized, personal, and consumeristic. Privatized, personal, and consumeristic. Think of, think of that. Does that not describe sometimes, I suppose, how, we, how you view your own faith? It's a private thing. You, uh, you, if you've ever tried to wear your faith out in public, you will have felt the cultural breeze and pushback around just how excited the general culture is that you celebrate your faith. The general drift is like, look, it's lacquer if you believe all that stuff, but just believe it at home or keep it in your heart. You know, don't come and bring all your stuff out here. Like, faith is a private thing. Keep it to yourself. Privatize it. Make it personal. And this is a, this is a significant trend. This is a shift, a cultural shift that's happened. It's, and I call it the Jesus and me um, approach to, to, to church and to faith. It's, it's, it is an over, overemphasis on the individual aspect of faith. You come to faith. You, you, you give your heart to Jesus, whatever that is. You give your heart to Jesus, and then you and him have this relationship, and you have a Bible, and you relate to him. And it's almost like an overcorrection from Catholicism where you have to go through a priest and stuff like that. Like now you can go to God on your own, but then you only go to God on your own. You, you lose the, the collective that you've been brought into, the church. And you, uh, in its extreme form, it expresses itself like this, that all you need is Jesus and you, a Bible, some worship songs, and some podcasts, and you'll be a-okay. You don't have to ever gather with God's people. If, if you have a Bible, Jesus can teach you, the, the, you know, you can find a verse where it says you don't need anyone to teach you anything. The Holy Spirit will teach you all these things. Lift that out. You know, put that on the fridge. I don't need to go to church because the Holy Spirit will teach me. And I've got lack of songs. I mean, whatever, you know, your, your flavor of worship, you can download that stuff. It's always going to be better than your local church. You know, these oaks who serve faithfully here, if you stream something online and there was some whiz-bang band, they're probably going to sound tighter and more whoopy than, you know, your in-house worship at your church. And you can podcast any preacher who's better than your pastor here. And so you can listen to whoever you want, and you can make your own, like, Starbucks your faith. You can pull the worship from there, the preacher from there, whatever else, and you're A for away, Jesus and you. And that's, I think, 
brings in the consumeristic nature of where we've got to, that we come to church for what we can consume and get out of it rather than seeing it as a body of people that we've been brought into to journey together in becoming more Christ-like and serve and love one another. We pick it all apart. When we talk about church, we talk about things like the preaching and the worship and the coffee and all of this kind of stuff and how the place benefits us. And people move between churches because they didn't like that and they like this. And um, I, I, I say this often, you've probably heard this before, but I, I long for the good old days. <laughs> you know, I, I picture myself growing up in a little village in Germany. This is how it works for me. I grew up in a little village in Germany where there's only one church. And Jesus saves me and joins me to the church. And I have how many options of church? One. And whatever the pastor preaches, that's what I hear. The people that I go, those are the people. And if you want to be part of the church, that's the church. And so you can't like go like, well, I don't like this oak. I don't like that church. That person was nasty to me. They didn't say hi to me. Me, 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 me. And you go to another church. Uh, and like that one's much better kind of thing, you know. That's how people are so fickle these days. And you might be here because your last church was like, Phew, you know. And now Parkhurst is going to be the place. And maybe today I'm helping you move on to somewhere else. I mean, you're like, this clown is useless. I'm going to go find somewhere else and then go, you know, like the Lord bless you. If that's your view of church, that you're shopping for the best deal, you have a long way to go in understanding what God has saved you into and brought you amongst. And I say that with all the love in the world. I would love you to stay at Parkhurst, but we don't need consumers. We don't need consumers. We don't need people who prioritize private, personal, consumeristic faith. We need born-again believers who understand what they've been brought into and lean into it in the power of the Spirit to really enjoy all that God has for us in that. Okay, now let's get to the Bible because that's where we should be. should have been probably 10 minutes ago. I want us to look at a verse out of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, head there. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, the verses will be behind me. Hebrews 10, verse 24. But before we say that, I, I hope that my prayer is that this morning, um, the tone of this comes across not as like a headmaster's chat, like you've been called to the principal's office and now he has a, he has a thing like, this is why you should come to church. Shame on you if you don't come. Uh, I won't look at them because there's a new couple that I met this morning. It's their first time at the church, and I said to them, you've picked the right day to come to church. You know, they've been, they've been watching on YouTube, and this is their first time they've come in person. I was like, yush, we dodged that one. Like, <laughs> so if you are watching at home, don't laugh at them. They're at home. They're, this is genuinely not like my please come back to church sermon. I want us to look at what the scriptures have to say for our own spiritual, your spiritual health and our collective health as a body of believers. This is not... This is not my hobby horse. This is not pleading for people to join. This is not um, yelling and coercion. This is us longing to be as healthy a community as we possibly can be. And I think the scriptures really encourage us and speak to us um, about this. So Hebrews 10, verse 24, just two verses for us to look at. It says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me just read that, those verses in the ESV. That's the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Let me read it for you in the ESV. It's slightly different. It says, 
And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want us to, I want us to camp out in this verse and I want us to look at what these words mean and how they speak to us and shape us. It's, we're not going to go through tons and tons of uh, verses. We just want to go and look through this and like pick up these words almost as, as, as stones and examine them and say, like, this is... Why has the writer to the Hebrews used these specific words? And what, what is it teaching us? Um, it says, let us consider one another and how to stir one another up. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say that you should be provoked to love and good works. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, think of how you can be provoked to love and good works. He's saying, Let's consider how we can provoke one another to love and good works. There's a massive difference. He's not encouraging people to more love and good works. He's encouraging us to think about each other. So what can I do to think about how I can help Greg? I'm going to be picking on people, real people in the building. How can I, this is the encouragement, how can I be thinking about Greg, what he's going through his life, his walk with Jesus, how can I encourage him and provoke him to greater love and to good works? That's what it means to be part of a church, is that you're not in it for yourself alone. It's just Jesus and me moment and off I go. Part of what it means to be brought into a body is that we're thinking about each other. Now, you can't be provoked to thinking about one another if you don't know each other. If you just roll in at a church and you just attend and leave and you don't know anyone, you can't possibly be thinking about how you're going to provoke and encourage them to love and good works. It, 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 it implies that there's a level of relationship where you know people's names and you're in life enough with each other. When you come on a Sunday, you're not standing there, it may take a while to get into the community, but that's how church is supposed to work, that you wander in and you know people. And it's not just a Sunday thing, that you know them during the week. That when you think and when you pray for the church during the week, you're thinking of people and names, people that you love, and that you're thinking for them and about them. You're bringing them to God, and you're thinking of how can I provoke them? How can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ to love and to good works? It's not, it's not like we're, we're oh, I'm not overthinking for Dave, like Jesus loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. You know, it's like, <laughs> that, that gets weird. And I've been in churches like that where it can, get, it can go properly sideways, especially when you start to sanitize your crazy stuff with spiritual language. Like the Lord has told me uh, that you should, and it's like, the Lord told you that? Like now the Lord is bringing a message from you. The Lord does do that. The Lord does speak th- to us through each other. But you need to be very careful when you start to speak on behalf of God that, Dave, this is what I feel the Lord's saying, you know, China is in your future. And it's not a holiday, but like it's a one-way. Dave's thinking, the Lord spoke to Doug and now off I go to China. I don't really feel like going to China, but the Lord spoke to Doug and now I have to go. No, 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 no. That's just weird. I'm not talking about that kind of influence in each other's lives. I'm talking about me coming to Dave and saying, Dave, I was praying for you this week and I was thinking, and I, I was thinking that this may be a great opportunity for you to serve in. 
based on your gifts and how you're wired and what I've seen in you, I think this would be a massive opportunity and bless and help and strengthen our church if you, if you lent into this and if you did this. And here's a person that I can connect you to. I bumped into this person at, at church or I have this friend and I think, you know, you, your story matches up with their story and I think you'd be a massive help and encouragement. So that's what it means to think and to connect and to provoke one another to lean into the community in greater love and greater good works. Why, why do we need this one another? Because, let's be honest, we're not always all cooking. We're not always all flying, all on maximum cylinders. We're often struggling. And this is the blessing and the benefit of, of a church, is when you've got others watching out for you and thinking and caring and praying for you, that when you're struggling and limping and maybe wandering or meandering or stalling in your faith, you have others who are praying for you and encouraging you that their hand is at your back. You always need to find a way to bring a cycling analogy into everything. But uh, sometimes when you cycle, this happened to me only once when I was fairly new to cycling. We were going up a hill and I was really, really struggling. Wasn't very strong, wasn't very fit. Not much has changed actually, but... Uh, uh, I remember this guy who was super strong and fit. He came and he just put his hand on my back and, and started riding. And it was like a tailwind from, like, he just it helped me. I was still pedaling, but the, 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 the improvement, the ease with which we sailed up the hill was remarkable. I mean, it's quite humbling to have another guy just come and, you know, obviously realize, like, you need some help here, buddy. You're going to be here the whole day. And it's a very humbling thing when somebody just un unasked for, just like, let me help you here. But, you know, like, this will be much easier for both of us if, we just, if I just push you up the hill. And it's that kind of a feeling, just, just someone's hand at your back spiritually. They're like, I, I can see we're not, you're not going to get up this hill without some help. And in love, let me put my hand on your back in prayer and encouragement in love. Let's go. We all need that. What are we encouraged to? What are we thinking for each other? What are we provoking one another towards? It says love and good works. My heart's desire for us is that we would be a community that are sold out on becoming a community of love. A community of love. This is when, when Jesus is, is, is speaking and teaching in John 13. This is what he, he, he says to them as he gives them a new commandment in John 13 Verse 34 and 35, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I mean, that's a whole sermon just in that line. Just as I've loved you, as Jesus has loved them, that's how he wants them to love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. This is the... This is the number one thing of what it means to be a Christian. It's to receive the love of the Father and then to love the family that God has brought you into, called the church. In the same way that you have been loved, you get to love God in return and work that out by loving your brothers and sisters of this new family that you've been brought into. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, there's so much in here. I don't want us to have sermons within sermons within sermons, although this is a bit of a weird sermon. Verse 35, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love them. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say everyone's going to know you're a disciple if you love them. It says this, the world is going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that you love the church, by the way that you love one another here. 
there'll be something that happens amongst a body of believers in the way they love one another. The world will know that you are a faithful follower of Jesus. Not by the way that you love them, but by the way that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something very, very powerful about that. And, and, and there's so many practical ways in which we love one another. Again, there's sermons within sermons. It's not just, it's not just the feeling warm and fuzzies towards each other. It's caring for each other. It's showing compassion to each other. It's praying for one another. It's, it's confronting each other in love. It's, it's speaking the truth in love. It's, it's calling out sin and error and waywardness in each other when we see it. Because we, we're concerned for each other. When, when we see one of our brothers and sisters involved in something or wandering off somewhere, it's a loving thing to go to them and say, whoa, where? Mm -mm. <laughs> I, I can see this pattern in your life while I was with you at this thing, and that's not befitting for, for you as, a, as, as one of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, hey, come, come. Let's go, let's go back and you gospel. We gospel each other. This is not the sin police. We're gospeling each other towards health, praying for each other, selflessly serving, serving each other with our gifts, giving to one another, building a community of love. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. That's what we should provoke one another towards, building this community where we love each other, where you think of coming to church or being part of a church, you think, I love these people and I feel loved by them. That's when you know we're making progress as a church. Not, I have to go there because there's an attendance register. Doug will notice if I'm not there. God will notice if I don't go to church. I don't really feel like going. There's people annoying me, but I may as well go. If that's your view of church again in love, you have a long way to go. You're, you're sort of doing it wrong, if I can put it. You're doing it wrong. If, if church is this reluctant thing you have to attend, the church is designed to be a family that you join into. Yes, it's a bit of a family of misfits. I'll acknowledge that. Absolutely. We, we are joined together as brothers and sisters. We didn't choose each other. <laughs> did, did we? No, 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 we didn't. God chose us and brought us together. And so sometimes, you know, it's that whole thing with your family. You don't get to choose your family. You can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. You can't choose your Christian family either. You can choose the church that you belong to. But every church you belong to is going to be made up of people who aren't like you, who uh, are different and who will annoy you. But you, you're still part of the family and you journey together. And it's the, sometimes, I remember this, not so much, it hasn't been my experience much at Parkers because Parkers has just been a life-giving community for me. But other communities that I've been a part of, uh, I remember there were a couple of people, man, the Lord put them in, those, in that community to sanctify me. No, I'm, I'm being very honest. As a pastor, you know, you're supposed to love everyone. And you do love them, but woof, you, don't, you don't connect with everyone the same. And there, God put a couple of people in that community who just I didn't connect with and who, who were difficult, difficult people, but who liked me and who would just make a beeline for me and wanted more and more of my time and stuff. And just, it was, it was draining to be with them. You know, those people who just suck the life out of you. I'm sounding like the least pastoral pastor here. Um, but that was my experience. And, but you know what? The Lord showed me more about what was going on in my heart than what was happening with them through those people. That's what a church does. You're getting to pick those people. Some of you are thinking, I know exactly who those people are at Parkhurst. Yeah, yeah the, the life-sucking ones, yes. <laughs> but you might be that person for someone else, you know? 
but we're still together and God's using you in their life and he's using others in yours to refine you and to mature you and to change you. We provoke one another to good works both in the church and through the church. Both in the church and through the church. That's very important. We want to be a body of believers that because we've been brought together in love, we love each other and our love expresses itself in serving each other in the body and through the body. We're not just like us. You get some churches where they're just so tight. They're just so like, they only ever celebrate service in the body. All the good works flow inwards. And that's, it's good to have that. But a healthy church has its members loving one another and the good works flowing in, but also realizing that God has called us to serve the world. And so our good works flow from the health amongst us into the world. And we serve the community of Parkhurst, the Parks area, and broader wherever you are as the people of God on a mission together. We serve with our good works outside the church. What does he then move on to say? He says, don't neglect to gather together. Don't neglect to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing. This is where it gets very tricky, isn't it? Because I think this is what COVID has done for many people. We've neglected to meet together, and it's become a habit for some. And I know all of you in the building are thinking, I came on the right day. Dick, you know, Doug noticed I was there. Like, I'm not, I'm not that person. Uh, and again, this is not an attendance register talk. Um, I want us to talk about what this means because I want to press our buttons a bit on this. What does this mean originally? Yeah, not, 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 not a neglecting gathering. Did this mean that they, they didn't have church buildings when this was written? There was no church building that they went to on Sunday at 8. And everyone knew, okay, you know. And if you skip that, like that was neglecting to gather. What did, what did gathering look like there? Well, we're not entirely sure, but from reading Acts in the New Testament, you see this mixture of they gathered in each other's homes and they, and they did life together very often and they gathered together in the temple courts and they worshiped God there. So they got together in these bigger uh, groupings uh, and it was more accessible to others. So there was both this gathering in each other's homes and doing life together and this kind of like, I suppose, church service feel. And both of those things you see uh, in the scriptures, I, I have a, a, a note of caution for some of the people who are, you see coming out of COVID, a lot of push towards people saying, let's just meet in homes. Let's, the church has left the building. We don't need buildings. Let's be like the early church and let's just meet in homes. You know, because the early church just met in homes. I'm like, the early ch- church didn't just meet in homes. They met in both of those environments. And if you want to be like the early church, then don't cherry pick a verse, um, you take it all, because the early church also sold all their possessions and gave to each other as they had need. So which, you know, which is your favorite verse there? Uh, <laughs> they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were persecuted. Like, which one do you want to go for? Uh, so you can't just pull one verse out and say, let's meet in the homes, because the early church did that. Like, if you want to go early church vibe on everyone, like, go all in, and then the Lord bless you. I think there's a lot of freedom there. Uh, to have people meet in homes, absolutely. But I think there's something, we'll see about this, that uh, temple gatherings like this are also uh, good for us. Does it mean we have to be in a church building? 
doesn't mean we have to meet in a church building to be faithful believers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a question mark next to that. And I'm going to say, I don't think the gospel, I think, frees us of all requirements. <laughs> the gospel frees us of all requirements. Whenever you put a should next to things, I think we're getting a bit weird. And I, I see it like this, requirement versus desire. A requirement versus desire. I don't, think it's, I don't think God sits with an attendance register. I don't think it's a requirement that you have to come to the building on Sunday. I think there should be in us, because of our understanding of church and who God has made us, a desire to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ for our benefit and for their benefit so that we are blessed and we get to bless them. Are you with me? So we are blessed and we get to bless others. Church is not about just what you get out of it. Church is about what you give to others when you come here in person. That's part of why you come in person, so that you can give, not your money, but your time and your love and your energy and use your gifts to serve. You can befriend and notice newcomers and people on their own. And I'm going to drill into this a bit more about the, the importance of in-person uh, church. But I, I want to just park that, that I think it's, a requ- it's not a requirement, it's desire, a longing for us to be um, together. Let's talk about why it's important to meet together in person. Part of this is because when we gather together, we remind ourselves of who we are. When we come together on a Sunday like this, we're like, look around the room. Say, like, yeah, I'm part of the Parkhurst Community Church family. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ that God has joined me together for this season. And these are the people that I get to do life with and love. And so if you're not all going to be here, and, and because of COVID, things are weird. We now have an eight and a ten. You might be newish here, and there's people who at the ten you've never, ever met. At the moment, I don't know why, but there's more people who come to the ten than the eight. There's a whole bunch of people who are going to rock up at the ten that you're never going to see. They don't even know that you come to this church because you're going to have gone by the time they come. You might see them passing in the street and wonder, do they live in Parkhurst? Are they going to their car? What's happening? You're like, you, you don't even know you're part of the same church, and that's something we have to work hard to get right to feel our togetherness. But when we gather, we remind ourselves of who we are. And we also, there is a a spiritual, don't don't think I'm getting weird on you, there's a spiritual mystery that happens when we gather together. Listen to these words that Paul says in Ephesians 3, from verse 10. Uh, He's he's been speaking about the mystery of the gospel and, 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 um, and how Jews and Gentiles come together in the church. And from Ephesians 3 verse 10, it says this, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's happening when we gather, it says there that God's multifaceted wisdom may now, not then, now be made known to the spiritual powers, the rulers and authorities in the heavens. There is a declaration of the astounding wisdom of God in bringing together a people who would never normally be together. And it shouts it out to the powers, the spiritual powers, and it declares to them the majestic wisdom of God. That's what happens when we gather together because why else would a group like this get together? Why else would Jews and Gentiles meet together and worship Jesus and people with different preferences and backgrounds and cultures and classes and everything else, languages, meet together to worship the same Jesus? 
Oh, yeah. It's the amazing wisdom of God. It's the power of God on display. I think we have to, we have to acknowledge one of the reasons why we get together is that some things are just better in person, aren't they? I mean, without, without being weird, I had a, a discussion with a friend about this the other day, and he, he had this term that struck with me, and I won't camp on it for long, but he said, a virtual honeymoon would be lame. A, a virtual honeymoon would be lame. Imagine you, you both went to a different place and you just zoomed each other like we're on honeymoon. How cool is this? If you haven't been on honeymoon yet, it's just an advert for like, don't, don't try the virtual option. Like rather, this is free advice. Go on a honeymoon together in person. You'll enjoy it a lot more than the virtual option. I mean, it wasn't it lacquer that the Springboks won yesterday? Thank you, Lord. That's what happens when we fast and pray as a church during the week. That's all I'm saying. On the weeks when we fast and pray, we win. I don't think there's a connection. It was lacquer. I've been in our lounge watching them win. I would have paid a lot of money to be in that stadium yesterday and watch that go down live. Some things are just better in person. If you've never been to a Soweto derby, it's cool on the TV. It's fire when you're there in the stadium. There's some things that are just better when you're there in person. And church is the same thing. Why? Because church, church is in some ways a foretaste of what's coming. Church is a foretaste. We're getting the smallest taste now of what will be our ultimate reality. And you see in Revelation 7, this is what John describes in verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, you're going to be part of that. I'm not saying you should go home and practice, you know, put your white clothes on and grab a palm frond and like get ready for that. But this is our future. This is what's going to happen. We're going to be together in person with people from every tribe and tongue and nation, that a people God has called to himself, and we're going to stand together, and we are going to declare, practice these words because you're going to say them, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You're going to be part of that if you believe in Jesus. And you know what? That gathering is in person. That is not happening on YouTube. That is not a Zoom meeting. That is in person. That is where we're going. And that's why we value in-person gathering, not online stuff. We do the online vibes for multiple reasons, but we prioritize and we value. And we call people to come in person because this is a foretaste now. Church is a foretaste of our ultimate reality. Another one of my mates sent me a message one day. He said, Jesus didn't email salvation. I was like, oh. but he, I got, I, I, you get the point. Jesus didn't email. He came, he came to earth embodied in human flesh. He, he, he could have saved us by just thinking about us from heaven, waving a wand. He came. There's a pattern of, of in the flesh, in person, that the church follows. The church is in some ways only truly the church when we come together. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but 
uh, I have a growing conviction that this is true. Like a, a, um, our boys are part of rugby teams at Pirates and they're loving it. They're part of the team, even when they're not playing rugby. You know, when they leave on Friday, they're still part of the team. But they are never more the team than when they're actually together playing rugby. That's when they are the most, the fullest expression of the team. It doesn't mean that they stop being part of the team when they come home. And there's this gathered and scattered nature of the church. But there's something that happens when we get together. It's the fullest expression of who we truly are as a church when we get together like this. Two more things quickly. The one, the one thing he says is encouraging one another. You come together, so don't neglect meeting together. And when you come together, you encourage one another all the more as you see that day appearing. You encourage one another. How does it work that we encourage one another when we get together? Do we just like walk around like high-fiving each other saying, go, go, well done for showing up? Like, I don't think it's that. And I, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking this through and winding my mind back over the years that God's given us together as a church. And I pulled out a few examples that, that I found very moving, that I found encouraging. And I was thinking of people, and I probably won't use many people's names, but I was thinking, I was sharing this with Claire, there's a couple who we journeyed with. They're part of our church. They're just not here this morning. I think they're away. And I remember distinctly they were going through a season of infertility. They were struggling to have a, a baby. Like really struggling. And I, and I remember, we were still in the school hall. Uh, week after week, they would come to church. And during the worship, they would always be in tears. And I, as I opened up the, the word, almost no matter what I preached on, they would be in tears. And as I came to close the service out in prayer, they'd be in tears. There was such heartache for them in that season. So much disappointment and struggle through that battle with infertility, and yet they showed up every week. They kept coming, and they worshipped, and they listened, and they let the community love them and pray for them. And they just they didn't have much to give out in that season, but they let people just love them. And I found that, as the pastor, so deeply encouraging. Here are these people, they are struggling, man. but they haven't given up on church. They're not tapping out. They're like, it's tough there were so many babies in the place, we're going to feel this. They came, tears and all. Tears and all. And there's something in that that's deeply encouraging. I remember a guy who used to sit when we were in the school hall, that we had those bleachers, you know, the stands at the back that were everyone's favorite. Um, everyone would come late so they could sit on the bleachers at the back there. And there was a guy who would sneak in late there. And many of you journeyed together with him going through the deepest patches of depression. And there were a couple of times when it felt like we were going to lose him. There were a couple of times where I, I thought we were going to lose him. Not to the church, but to life. And he would show up and he would sneak in late. And he would worship and he would sing and he would try. And sometimes he wouldn't, he would just stand there. And sometimes he would leave early. And sometimes there would be a gap in the weeks. But then he would come back again. And he kept trying. That's what it means to encourage one another. When you show up, when you've got nothing to give, but you still show up. And you lean into this community because this is your community. These are your people. This is your church. And you're not flying. You're not cooking. You're not the one everyone's running to for help and grace. 
This came home for us when Claire's dad passed away a few years ago. Um, we were heartbroken. And, and I think he died on a Thursday. And that Sunday we had to be in church. And I remember there were a couple, there were a couple of weeks where Claire and I were just nowhere. We were nowhere. Every, we didn't have to sing anything. They just needed to play one note. Do you know what it's like when you're just hanging by a thread? And we would just be in tears. I could hardly stand to sing. And many of you came and prayed with us and helped us and loved us and made us food and carried us through some of the most difficult days that we had as a family. Our kids were just weeping, missing their granddad and stuff. And that's what it means to be part of a church, guys. When you don't have all your stuff together and you rock up and you lean into worshiping Jesus and you are encouraged by one another, your world can be falling apart, but you're there. That's the time to lean, and it's not the time to check out. And if you're sitting at home today watching here because you feel like you've lent out long enough and you don't have your stuff together, whatever, I want to encourage you to get a ticket and come next week. It doesn't matter. There's people I'm looking at you, you can't see them. Yeah, they don't have their stuff together. I don't have my stuff together. But we're here. That's what it means to be part of a body. And we encourage each other by showing up, by singing, by praying, by leaning into relationship with one another. By giving to each other, that's what it means to be a church. And we do it, the writer to Hebrews says, all the more as we see that day approaching. As we have our eyes and our hearts fixed on the one day, Jesus, you are coming back for us. As that day gets closer and closer, we want to do this more and more. Because Jesus loves the church. He gave his life for it and for you and to bring you into this body. So I want to encourage you today. There's so much more that we could say, but I'm going, to, I'm going to stop it there. I want to encourage you to just simply this, to sit again on your own, to reflect like, God, what have you brought me into, into the church, the universal church? And what have you brought me into, into this body? I'm grateful, I'm grateful to God, to God for Parker's Community Church because this is my church. Yes, I get to lead, and yeah, we started it, but this is my church. I don't have another church. You are my people. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ for this season where I grow together with you as we all follow Jesus together. That we reflect and we're grateful to God and then we ask ourselves the question, in what ways can we lean in more? In what ways can we provoke one another? In what ways can we be thinking about each other to help each other lean in to greater health in this community? Because guys, there's, there's no point being part of a church in like a quasi kind of a way. I've really thought this through, and I have a firm conviction on this. It's no point if you think that you're part of a body and the body don't even know you're part of it. All the imagery in the scripture is like, you know, I know this is my hand, and my hand knows it's my hand. Like, I mean, without overdoing the simplicity of this, like, it's not like I'm amazed, like, wow, I have a hand. You know, like, my, I know this hand. You know, it's been with me for 40 odd years. I just forgot how old I was there for a second, but, you know, I've got used to this hand. I know it. It's no point being part of a body, but the body never ever see you, never know that you're a part of it. We don't have membership certificates. We don't give people those because we don't want you to think that you're part of something because you have a certificate. We want you to feel that you are part of a body because you know. You know, these are my people. This is my church. God has brought me into this to both be loved and to love and to serve this place. That's not something you put on paper. 
that's something you feel because it's a spiritual reality. And my prayer is that we would lean more and more as a church into that. And God would grow us healthier and healthier as we do. Let's pray together. Father, we're so, um, we're so grateful this morning for uh, the gift of the church, that, that in, your, uh, in your multifaceted wisdom, uh, you thought up the idea of a church, of, of people uh, brought together um, as a family, as brothers and sisters, uh, together with Jesus as our head, as I, as, I, as I were our elder brother, but the one over us, the one who, who unites us together, that you would bring us together in, in this eternal community and, and that through it we would get to experience and know you, be filled with the Spirit and have gifts to love and serve one another and where we could be well known and loved by others, that it would be through the church that we would experience the love that you have for us and that we would be partners with you uh, in your mission in the world to, to seek and to save and to see, re- see society restored and redeemed and see the kingdom of God uh, established in the earth. There's so much that we don't understand about the church and yet this morning we just want to say thank you, Father, for bringing us into this. And this our church is not a perfect church by any stretch, but we're grateful for this community, this family at Parkhurst, and we pray, I pray, Father, that you would help us to to lean into more of what you're doing here, that we would provoke one another to love and good works, that we wouldn't neglect meeting together, as, as as some people do, but that we would encourage one another all the more as that day draws nearer where you will fully and finally make everything new. We pray that you would grace our church with so much health, so much of the presence of God, so much of the joy of the Holy Spirit that our journey together, our, our fellowship, our friendship, our ministry and our mission together would be so seasoned with joy and with power and with love that it would be life-giving for us and glorifying to you. We pray that you would help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen.